Welcome to your Active Tech Brief Podcast. My name is Julia Tar, your technology reporter. This week we'll look at how social media and technology is influencing elections, specifically the 2024 European Parliament elections, with Katja Munoz, Research Fellow at the German Council of Foreign Relations Center for Geopolitics, Geoeconomics and Technology. For an overview on all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euroactive.com. This is Euroactive's Tech Brief Podcast. Hi, Katja. Thank you for being here and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Julia. How are you? Uh, my first question is, um, how has the influence of social media sites changed in recent years when it comes to elections? I, w- I wouldn't really put it only on elections. I would say it's a general trend that social media is very much more influential because we just spend more time on it and uh, more demographics, not only young people anymore, but from all kinds of ages. And I think it has to do a lot of with exposure in general, right? Um, social media is obviously here to stay right now. And the current status quo is that, I don't know, last time I checked over 5 billion people, um, I think that was like a month ago because of writing an article. So over 5 billion people are connected to some form of social media platform. And that just gives you the effect in, uh, or the answer in itself. Yes, it is a higher influence point because more people are on it. And because more people are on it um, and spending more time also on different platforms for whatever reasons, um, other actors have noticed that, um, you know, it's possible to maybe use social media because of its exposure to so many people to maybe influence others in a way, you know, and I think I think that would be the most basic answer. Katya, you yourself are a research fellow. What changed in recent years for researchers when it comes to social media? Yes. So right now, 2024, we have as I mean, it's a buzzword. So we're all talking about the super election year, depending on which level you look at. There are more than 70 elections worldwide. If you look at presidential, maybe a little bit less, but, you know, I think even more in a sense. And um, the problem of us researchers is right now that social media platforms um, are as intransparent more than so than in 2020 um, because we don't have access to data. So the fact is that after the Trump election in the U.S., for instance, there was kind of like a golden age of transparency and trust and um, safety because uh, efforts in general, because of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and the pressure that was felt on platforms. So they started to open up and invest more into also trust and safety and diversity and everything and ethics, most of all. Um, so that was like the golden age where we had access all of a sudden where platforms to an extent also worked with researchers and um, provided some data to come up with better solutions. But um, in recent years, I'd say mostly in COVID, and I'd say the last year and last two years, and also since Twitter was acquired by Elon Musk, um, the trend has been reversed. So everything that has been invested, I mean, we've seen the headlines, thousands of, of people were laid off from social media platforms They are trying to get leaner. And the first thing that was cut off was not the um, perceived money-making machine, which is our programmers that might, you know, produce new products or work towards metaverse and or also now AI, but trust and safety, equity and diversity and whatever ethics, everything related to that. And also middle management, a lot of people were left off or go. So right now, for instance, since Elon Musk acquired 
X API access is not for free anymore, but is costing 40,000 euros, I think, per access or dollars. And that's something that almost nobody can access. Like nobody can pay as a private researcher, um, maybe some corporate interests, but I, I don't like... So what basically happened is data access privilege or the, the openness to of platforms um, towards uh, sharing some kind of data was completely reversed. And right now we have legislation coming in that is providing us with data access um, in the form of the Digital Services Act. It's a very good law. It's In my opinion, it's a very good first step that really tackles that issue because it is a big issue if we do not know what platforms are doing in terms of data, but we rely on only the information by them, but I don't know if it will be the um, like the solution for us in the short term. Let's say, for instance, now the EP elections, the European Parliament elections. So um, yes, we suffer from a lack of data in a time where we have geopolitical disruptions going on, two large conflicts, um, two many different interests trying to influence different people on social media and weakening narratives or strengthening certain narratives. So yeah, we're kind of blind right now, 2024 as of now. And I've already seen some because the DSA is in force right now. So I've seen some people rent that they were not able, even through the DSA, to um, ask for access for data because they're always denied still. So there needs to be some more pressure on that. But at least there's not legislative, I would say, justification to pressure platforms to give to provide access to data. But yes, right now we're still naked in a sense. We we are running into these elections with so many people being online and so many people getting their news online and everything, but we do not know exactly what is going on. Theoretically, we do know, but we do not have the facts at hand because we do not have data access yet. It's good that you mentioned the Digital Services Act or the DSA for short, which uh, since the 17th of February applies to all platforms operating in the EU. Do you expect that to have any effects on social media and elections this year? Not yet. I mean, the DSA is a very good tool and a lot of issues in a sense, you know, like it provides transparency. I think, I mean, obviously it also um, provides some mechanisms to um, tag or flag disinformation in itself, which is a good thing. But like, I think for me, the main job of the DSA and the main benefit is the required transparency by platforms, like the access that we are getting from data, um, maybe not now, but maybe in four or five months, maybe it will already be then more streamlined, the the execution of the DSA, right? And also transparency reports, the sanction tools that it allows governments to push through if platforms do not comply. So all of these things are very good measures, like a very good first step, but I don't know if they will come if they will be able to be used in time for the EP elections. I'm thinking not, but at least there is something in place now. So, you know, that there is a, a lot in tech that I think can influence elections like artificial intelligence, deep fakes, specific formation, even cyber attacks. Would you consider any of these more dangerous than the others? It depends because I would say more dangerous. I'd say right now we're kind of living in a very dangerous world in itself already, you know, like... um. We see a lot of actors, bad actors in a sense, trying to influence users of platforms. And the problem in such is not information per se, like let's say, because truth is also contested. 
um, subject, but let's say somebody posts something, um, a disinformation, like a private citizen, that, in my opinion, is not such a big problem. It's not good, but it's it's harmful content, but it's not illegal content, and it's just one person. It becomes a major problem if there is an influence campaign behind it, because in Germany we've had some examples now. So I think in January the foreign ministry of uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs discovered fifty thousand bots that were actively pushing. Um, some like an influence campaign and pushing specific narratives. So that is the problem. A 50,000 inauthentic accounts start pushing a certain narrative. That is endangering the integrity of information, information or access to information. Not everything has to be correct, right? But the access to, or like, let's say the possibility of going online and getting information that I think is trustworthy, that's important for me. And if I only see a pollution of the information space and where I cannot get information anymore, then I don't trust that anymore. And I lose trust in in my government, I lose trust in whatever there is. So that is a major problem from bad actors um, with influence campaigns. So I'm saying this right now is a major problem. Everything that might be on top is also obviously AI, for instance, is um, making things much easier for these actors. But it doesn't change existing digital strategies. They just use it to super boost them. It's much easier to create content now that might look more realistic, but it doesn't change the strategy that they still use 50,000 bots to kind of uh, pollute the information space right now. Uh, I'd like to ask what you think about TikTok and Meta's recently announced preparations for the EU elections. Yes, I'm thinking, um, I mean, they're feeling the pressure because everybody's talking about the super election year. And obviously the Digital Services Act is coming into power. And I would say some of the measures are definitely intended to acquiesce, right? So we see TikTok announcing that they will have an election center, I think, or an election information center which I think is um, it's not a bad idea to provide one hub for information. Because as I said, if you know where to go to find correct information, then that's already good for its users because they know they can access information over there. Now, is it going to be enough? I don't know. I would like to know um, who is more data in itself. And that's something that I don't know if they will allow in time, you know, and they are also saying that they have 6,000 content moderators. That's what I read last last week, they, that they are that they have 6,000 content moderators in place. I haven't really been able to check which countries or, or the proportion of people working on certain countries, because I can tell you right now, for instance, that usually the focus is always something like um, English speaking content, maybe German on the second, maybe French. But what about Eastern European countries where you can just post whatever you want and nobody really cares because it's just not such an interesting market. And that's where Transparency by the Digital Services Act comes in, right? Like I can actually ask how many people do speak the native language of that country that is also maybe part of the European Union. Um, see, but that's these are dynamics where I'm not sure if, if the Digital Services Act is going to be able to handle me. But as I said, I think they're feeling the pressure. I'm not sure if it's enough because on the other side, I saw um, on Instagram that Mosseri, he's the CEO, I think, of Instagram, was announcing that any form of political content is going to be deprioritized. And in itself, he would say, yeah, that's the easy way out because you're trying to 
um, avoid conflict. But then my question is, what is political content? How do you actually define political content? Could it be an NGO that is saying something like, yeah, we should fight for bicycle lanes? Is that also already political? You know, go vote for that party. Or is it uh, going to be only um, because that's what's happening a, a lot, like graphic violent content that is coming over from either conflict zones of Ukraine or Israel um, Gaza war right now? So what is politics? What is going to be deprioritized? I'm not sure. And that's, again, something that I'm saying, yeah, we, we should. I don't know. These are decisions that, yes, they are private companies. They are allowed, but on a certain other question, I would say yes, but it's not only anymore a private company, right? Because social media platforms, in my opinion, that's that's completely personal, are already, um, you could see them as critical infrastructure because everybody uses it. Everybody gets their information from it. Even the media, everybody's trying to reach people through social media. We communicate through it. We live through it. So why do we not categorize it as critical infrastructure or, or like similar to it? And then we would have act differently towards it, right? Yeah, I think it's really interesting what you said about the definition of political content, because I feel like it's this, this is something that comes up even in drug regulations regularly, that, you know, the definition of any kind of tech, um, any kind of technology, really, that sometimes the, the issue already starts with how do we define it? And how, maybe, you know, different member states, different experts have a different way of defining the same thing. So I, I think it's it's a really, really good point. I just feel that if a company is taking these decisions, they should consult somebody from, I don't know, maybe the EU, if it affects content also in the EU, right? So that's something that I'm, what is political? What should be on it? What not? Um, who are you talking to? What is the definition specifically? And not only saying political content, then at least be transparent and say what you consider as political content so that people know and maybe shift platform. I don't know, but that's something that I feel is, Yes, it's a prerogative of a private company, but as again, are we talking about private companies or critical infrastructure already? But then also be transparent about what it is that you actually mean and don't be so intangible because these concepts allow them to actually censor or even like whatever, deprioritize, let's put it that way, because it's not censorship in a way, or maybe it is specific content that that might that they might not deem as important, but they are deciding what we are seeing. And that's something that I feel is not very democratic in a sense, you know? Okay, let's talk maybe a bit more about the positive effects of social media. So the European Parliament, for example, hopes to tackle misinformation by being present on TikTok during the upcoming election campaign, or actually uh, this week they already posted their first TikTok. So um, do you think this will work? And what does the, the Parliament have to do to make sure that uh, tackling disinformation works and that they will have, you know, like a positive outcome of being on the platform? I think it's a good idea to be on platforms. Obviously, there have to be uh, some security measures, but I'd say definitely, you know, you have to have a foot in in the door of uh, one of the biggest growing platforms and not leave the field to others only to shape narratives, because that's that's what happens, right? If you do not at least provide like a, a point of reference in a sense, then you are leaving a space to others to shape the perception of you. So I think it's a good idea, obviously. Um, and I I mean, I think they should do more in my in my opinion, you know, maybe, I mean, we're talking governments or the EU in general. So should they only have one presence? Should they also presence or should they also have like various digital strategies accompanying that? Not only posting from one post, but maybe like, how do you say, coordinating some posts? Let's say, okay, we're going to post about, um, let's say a, a campaign 
um, to kind of, um, sh- I don't know, transparency maybe, for instance, or where can you access information about election-related content and then um, post not only the EU Commission, but all of the organs at the same time? Because what we know about platforms and about the algorithms dictating how successful some posts are is that the more people post, the more high-reach accounts post in that sense, um, the better content will be you know, recommended to other people that might not be have or might not have, I don't know, followed that account. So I'm not saying, yes, be only present, but also the understanding of the concept, because I know that foreign or bad actors, even domestic ones, even parties on ideological spectrums are using platforms very efficiently to multiply and amplify certain narratives. And they don't do it because they're, I don't know, because they have different means than governments. It's just that they know how platforms work. So I would suggest, yes, definitely be on those platforms, and hire people who really know how these platforms work and then work your magic, you know? Okay, so finally, I know you said that it's uh, difficult to, to determine now without a lot of lack of access to data for researchers, but I, I would still like to ask you, like, if, if you have any predictions for the EU elections this year when it comes to social media and technology in general. For example, we've already seen deep fakes of politicians' voices even in the EU and the US, but you can, of course, give any type of example predictions on elections. I would say we're definitely going to see a lot of information campaigns, a lot of um, things that also intelligence offices or ministries in itself are are already seeing in terms of detection in authentic account activities. And I'm saying influence campaigns. We're definitely going to see a lot of that because obviously it's election year. There are a lot of interests abroad and also domestic interests that want to disrupt politics or in itself. So I'm pretty sure we'll see a lot of action in it. But then um, I'm, I'm always hopeful in a way, you know, like even though we right now do not have access to data, we will have access to data and then we will see much more clearly now what is going on. Um, and also theoretically, we know what is happening. So even though we don't see it in real time, we know what to expect in a way. And about deep fakes. That's something that I find very interesting in itself because it's about, again, um, we're seeing a very innovative field in itself developing. So is it only going to be the same as we saw before? Is it only going to be pictures or audio deepfakes that might convey other information? But then how do we counter that? And I think that's um, there's a lot of creativity needed and a lot of innovation in itself to try to find solutions. And I'm saying not only on the platform level, but also looking at tech companies behind it, like OpenAI or Llama, and really trying to find solutions to a very evolving field because it's it's just crazy what is going on there in terms of innovation, the turnaround. Every six weeks, I feel we have like an extended, something incredibly new coming up. So in terms of deepfakes, I think there's one thing that I read about um that's uh, an effort by an NGO, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, it's Make.org and a, and a couple of other, a couple of other NGOs and stuff that came up with ten recommendations. I'm not sure if all of these ten recommendations will. Um, in general, they are very good in terms of strengthening the integrity of elections, <clears throat> and they tackle online problems. Um, but I think on the short term, there are only one or two things that we can actually use right now because we're talking elections in, in three months. And one of those was very interesting in the sense of um, coming up with a repository of content that politicians have said during elections or during campaigning, right? EU politicians, but also national um, politicians. So it's basically an 
it will be like a library of content um, that they have set publicly so that if a deepfake pops up, that repository can be seen and tackled. And if something is taken out of context, for instance, then the context can be provided very quickly because we already have that repository. And that's something that can be done. But I'm not like it depends always on the political will of people really engaging and doing this. But in general, there are ways of handling it, certain dangers. And uh, yeah, but I think it's going to be really wild because I'm not sure even if we have data from platforms, if we will be able, if that will really help, help us with deepfakes, let's say audiovisual content. So there's a lot of efforts that need to be happened on the platform level, on the tech company level, on the governmental level. And also realizing as states that I think, in my opinion, you know, because right now we're having a very asymmetric, like states are usually perceived as a very strong entity in itself. It has all of these tools at their disposal. But I find that still we we only tackle bad actors on the detection level, which is, yes, we identify something that they're doing and then we talk about it and that's it. But measures in terms of countermeasures we only try to counter on the same level as well. But I find that states, we call it a very, like, as I said, it's an asymmetric strength relation. So as a state, we should be able to do more. And if we recognize that it's not only about detecting and, and really doing more, I know that a lot of security institutions are working on different strategies, but they need to be, how do you say, applied quickly in a sense. But in general, I think, I mean... There's nothing more to do than being transparent, putting the foot in the, in the doors, like you were saying already that the commission has um, an account, but also hiring people that really understand platforms and tech um, are tech savvy. And I'm saying that because I just saw two weeks ago, which I thought was, or three weeks ago by now, which I thought was one of the most interesting examples of how effective um, understanding platforms actually is, even if you want to counter a certain content. Um, Taylor Swift, three weeks ago, had this, um, there was illicit porn, um, deep fakes, pictures or videos or something posted on uh, X by now. And within, I think, not even 24 hours, even less, I'm pretty sure. I mean, X didn't do really a lot because I, I didn't expect much from them. But what I didn't expect was that all of her fans, kind of Swifties, as they call themselves or refer to themselves as, came up with a counter strategy that was very effective. So they started posting pictures and posts about her using a certain hashtag, which was uh, saying protect Taylor Swift. And because so many people shared and posted and reshared these, this, these kinds of posts with this hashtag, the deepfakes were just very difficult to find. I, I mean, I it was almost impossible to find the deepfakes anymore. So these are counter strategies that I'm actually talking about that are already possible right now, even without data access. And that's what I mean by being tech savvy. If you see something like this, then yeah, those, I mean, the Swifties are just people, usual fans, I'd say, from a demographic from what, like maybe 15 to 25, 30, even older, but they just, banded together. They don't have a WhatsApp group. They just understand how platforms and algorithms work. So they did what they knew was effective in countering specific posts and narratives and deepfakes. And they did it very well because, as I said, after 24 hours, you couldn't find the content anymore. And that was very impressive to me. And that's something that I would wish, like this intuitive knowledge of platforms that also would, I don't know, find a foothold within 
governmental countermeasures, as I said, against influence campaigns and influence operations. Before we wrap up the podcast, a small clarification for the listeners. While Katya mentioned the European Commission being on TikTok, it is, of course, the European Parliament that now has an account. However, both institutions, first the Commission and then the Parliament, banned the app last March for their staff to use it on their corporate devices. That's all we got time for this week. Thank you very much to Katya for joining me. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I am Julia Thar. Thank you for listening.